0: Good morning and welcome to worship at Houghton Wesleyan Church. Would you please stand and join me responsively in reading the call to worship? In you, Lord our God, we put our trust. trust No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause remember Lord your great mercy and love for they are from of old Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love for us, for your forgiveness through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the privilege of joining together in corporate worship this morning. Heavenly Father, may we sense strongly your presence with us today. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: so great to see you as we gather for worship today. We especially welcome those of you who may be guests here this morning. Uh, Take a moment, share a word of reading with others who are here in worship. i mentioned a couple of things. Uh, tonight at 5 we'll be meeting here for a time of music. Uh, children's Choir will be singing a few numbers and we'll have a chance to choose your favorite hymns. So join us tonight at 5 o'clock and uh, we're also happy to welcome this morning uh, Dr. Joey Jennings, our district superintendent. He oversees the Wesleyan Churches in western New York and we're pleased to welcome him here this morning and he'll be sharing uh, more with us later in the service. It's also a joy to uh, take a few moments and to dedicate our children to God. And uh, we have one this morning who's come and we are dedicating him. Come on over. Peter and Jess, God has blessed you with this little one. And today you come to dedicate this gift back to God. You are here today because of your own faith in Jesus Christ. And in this public act of dedication... You are declaring your desire that he be raised in the love and grace of God within the nurturing spirit of this church. In this act, you are welcoming the prayers and the support of this church and declaring your desire that he would learn early the things of God and that his life would be defined in a lifelong commitment to follow God to the very end of his life, that he might receive the promise of eternal life with Christ. But in order that this will be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach your child early the fear of the Lord, to watch over his education, that he may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines, to direct his mind to the holy scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity, and to direct his feet to the sanctuary, to restrain him from evil associates and habits, and as much as possible to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of the Lord? In Mark's gospel, we we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. What name have you given your child? Aaron Lawrence Romance, on behalf of your parents, your family, and this church, I dedicate you to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As I've mentioned many times when we dedicate our children to God, this is really the, uh, the completion of the, the design of a threefold covenant, sort of a triangle type of feel to it. That the base is God and we know God is at work in this little one's life already and that God loves him with an everlasting love and will continue throughout his life to, to woo him to himself. Peter and Jess and their family have made their commitment one side of the triangle to say they'll do everything in their power possible to help Aaron know God and to follow God all of his life. But we also have a responsibility. As the church, we are a witness to him of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And God will provide us with various opportunities through the years, some of those structured and many unstructured, to help him know that following Christ is a good thing and that we are encouraging him to do that. So I'm going to invite you to stand and to affirm your commitment to Aaron and to this family. As the church of Jesus Christ, will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Aaron grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love him? Will you be a godly witness to him? And will you help him know and accept the grace of God in his life? If so, answer, we will. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of children. This part of the design of your creation is amazing. And we thank you. And we thank you today for Aaron. Thank you for bringing him into this world. Thank you for, for blessing him and loving him and caring for him. And even at this very young age, for communicating your love and mercy and grace to him. Father, we are dedicating him to you today because we want him to be a lifelong follower of Christ and to know the joy and the peace of following you. And so we pray, Father, that you would watch over him throughout his life, that you would help him to know how much you love him. And pray, Father, that you would help us to be witnesses of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and that through our witness it would draw him closer and closer to you. Father, we pray for Peter and Jess and ask that you would bless them as parents, give them grace and strength and all that they need to be godly parents to their little children. We pray that you would watch over their home and may the blessing of Christ be so evident there. We pray for Kate as a big sister. We pray that you would help her, that as she follows you, that her brother would follow in those footsteps and that they would have a loving relationship. We pray your grace upon her as well. Father, thank you again for little children. Thank you for this little child. And we place him in your hands with joy and peace and confidence for you are a loving God. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Please join with me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are people who have been blessed beyond our ability to give thanks. Even with the struggles and difficulties of life, we have been and continue to be recipients of health, family, Friends and the necessities of life. Forgive us that far too often our first response is to complain about what we do not have rather than to express gratitude for what we do have. Forgive us for being so focused on getting more that we forget so many who have little to begin with. Forgive us for taking your gifts for granted. And help us to see all the ways in which you fill our lives with good. As we confess our sin, open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to hear your promise to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven.
0: Our Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Would you please stand for the uh, doxology and... uh, the receiving of our tithes and offerings. father we acknowledge that all that we've received comes from you we are grateful and we're thankful also that we have the privilege and responsibility of returning a portion of that to you we ask that you would use it for your service and for your glory in jesus name amen
1: It's God who protects us and holds us, invites us to come to him in prayer. And we can pray in a variety of postures, in a variety of places, in a variety of ways. And as we pray this morning corporately, perhaps you would like to use the altar rails, the place where you offer your prayers. If so, please come and join me. Father, it is an amazing promise that you give us. That you will hold us up. That you care for us. That you are with us. That in the times of life that bring us joy, and the times of life that bring us sadness and pain, the constant is that you are with us. And you are our strength and our help. And this morning we come and declare together that you are good and merciful and kind and loving and true and trustworthy. And that we are leaning completely upon you. Father, as we gather today, there are a variety, wide-ranging concerns and burdens that are on our hearts. For some of us, there is anxiety about the future, concern about what lies ahead of us. Give us grace to trust you. Help us to see you at work, even when it feels as if you are not. Father, for some of us, there are issues of relationships that are just not where they should be. And we, are, we feel pain and loneliness, emptiness, guilt. Father, we pray that you'll restore our broken relationships. That you will help us to seek out and to offer forgiveness. We pray that you will be at work in the various ways in which we relate to others. Father, for some of us there are burdens of grief, and loss. We think especially today of Mark Getzen and his family at the death of his sister this week. And ask for your comforting presence upon them. And upon all who are grieving today as it comes to us in its various forms. We pray for all who are struggling with health issues. We think particularly of Bunny Austin and Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, Everett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth and Dick Gould and Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler, and others who may be on our hearts and our minds today, And we pray for your healing grace upon each of them. Father, we pray for our world in which we live, a world of pain and heartache and suffering. We think of the people in Nepal, and already we have kind of moved on, it feels like. But we know the people in this country are not moving on, that the devastation... And the, and the presence of that and the effects of it are still so prevalent in their lives. And we pray that you will bring about healing and restoration and rebuilding. And may your people, your church, be at the forefront of that. We ask for your grace upon this country that has faced such great hardship. And Father, we pray for the work of your people around the world. We think of the Georges in Australia and ask for your grace upon their ministry there in a difficult place. We pray for our brothers and sisters who face opposition and persecution to their faith. We think of Pastor Azar and the work that he has done for many years and because of some of those who have turned to you the opposition and the The threats and the violence have increased. We pray that you will give to him, to his family, to the people that he ministers to, courage and protection and grace. Lord, use their lives, their faithfulness to do miraculous things. Father, thank you for all that you do in our lives. Thank you for the ways in which you are at work that we see and ways that we don't see. Give us a continued spirit of trust knowing that you are good and that you are in control. We offer our prayer to you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
2: Oh church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong In the strength that God has given With shield of faith and belt of truth We'll stand against the devil's lies An army bold whose battle cry is love, Reaching out to those in dark Come see the cross where love and mercy meet. As the Son of God is stricken, then see His foes lie crushed beneath His feet for the conqueror. So Spirit come, put faith in every stride give grace for every hurdle, that we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant God.
0: The New Testament reading is from Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for hymn number 429.
3: morning. What a joy it is to be back in Houghton at the Houghton Wesleyan Church and really it feels like coming home to Houghton. It's, uh many family and friends and people that have made such an impact on my life, my wife's life, are part of this congregation. Thank you for, for all that you do. Let me just begin by expressing my appreciation for Pastor Wes and Cindy for their leadership, uh, just really characterized by excellence in every sense of that word just the, the longevity the relationships the the pastoral heart and the organizational leadership that he has given to this church over over the years has been a model for other pastors and not only for leadership in in this church but for the support that many on staff and as part of this church give to the district leadership pastor west sits on our district board of administration as does ralph kerr and steve Dunmeyer uh cindy odin sits on our district board of ministerial development i think mike jordan and uh ralph kerr sits on that as well and then uh, john cole works with our youth pastors leading our district youth ministry there's just many ways in which this church uh is providing leadership in our district and and you are very faithful to support the works of other churches um new ministries and through your prayers, through your financial giving, so thank you for that. Just briefly, before I get into the message, to uh, give you an update on some of the, the new projects we have as a district. Uh, last year when I was here, I shared about Steve and Ruth Strand, that we're going into the city of, of Buffalo working really as missionaries. We call it the Urban Advocacy Team for the district, and uh, they have been there about nine months and are building some, some great relationships there. Just in the last month, I've had opportunity to to sit with Steve and a young young man that Phil's called into ministry. He's from the Congo and uh, and just has, has, has been in Buffalo, actually has a college degree, and Phil's got calling him into pastoral ministry. And so Steve Strand is, is sort of walking with him uh, to, um, to mentor him as a pastor and help him to get the education he needs and to bring leadership on, on what I hope will develop into a, a young congregation. Uh, Recently, I think just after Easter, Stephen Ruth also attended an Ethiopian congregation and was able to make contact with their pastor and have now developed a relationship. And, and that pastor has emailed me just on some exploration on what the Westland Church is and how to, to, um, to we can support. Uh, I don't know that any of these will necessarily develop Westland Church. They, they may. But more than that, we're just seeing the needs of these church, of the church in the city particularly among the, the refugee community that Steve and Ruth are, are called to serve and uh, are trying to, to meet those needs so that the church can grow. Uh, one other project, I, well, I, won't, I could go on for, for several, but let me just share about Anchor Church. Um, Steve and Lindsay Johnson, have been he, he's, he's been a youth pastor at two of our churches, one in West Seneca, one in Hamburg, and felt the Lord calling him to, to leave what was pretty established and successful ministry and start uh, a new church. So he's been actually working bivocational. So he has a, a job really as a handyman, fix-it man uh, in the city, working with Westside Ministries. But he's also building uh, the core group right now for what will be a church uh, on Hurdle Avenue in North, north the community, a uh, neighborhood of North Buffalo. And their target audience is is young families that are that are moving into that part of Buffalo by by mass. And so we're excited to see. Uh, several young couples have already committed to be a part of this team. We're praying for a location for the church to start meeting and for the leadership team to be complete. So uh, we're, we're excited to see what God is doing. And so thank you for your prayers for these and for other ministries in our district and um, and for your support. The passage was read from Hebrews 12 describes the life that we are living as a spiritual race. Now, this book was written a little different. The, the audience of this book is different than most of the letters in the New Testament. And many of them were written, written to the church in a particular geographical location. So Romans was written to the church in Rome. However diverse the Christians were in Rome, they, that was what the letter was written to. Hebrews is different. Number one, it doesn't mention who wrote the book. But secondly, it is to a group of Christians, those that are of Hebrew lineage or those that are really from the Jewish uh, background before they became Christians. And we understand about this, number one, they are the, the first Christians, were Jewish Christians on the day of Pentecost. And, and many of the disciples, all the disciples that Jesus, apostles that Jesus worked with were, were Jewish that now believed that Jesus was the Messiah. We also can see that, that their struggles were, were twofold. Number one, that they, they struggled with their traditions of the law. And many of the letters written in the New Testament were to say, well, no, we, we, we are saved by faith and not by works, not by obedience to the law, but by the actions of Jesus Christ. We also see that the Jews were, were, were struggling with persecution and hardship. And uh, so they, this was written to a church. If you read the entire book of Hebrews, you see several places where it refer, refers to the tribulation for the, the, the difficulties that they were going through. Some had been in prison. Some had been, uh, had all their possessions or many of their possessions confiscated. Many had gone through what, what the writer describes a great conflict. And so it's in the midst of this that we see this, this chapter, chapter 12, written. What I think is to, to encourage perseverance. Let's look at just the first three verses that uh, were read before. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. A couple of places in this passage, and it continues through the chapter, it describes this race that we are running and, and says, do not grow weary, do not lose heart. As we address this to the church today, I don't believe that there are people that are quitting the race, at least not many, in the sense that they are now denouncing Jesus and going back on their faith, much more common in the church is for people to grow weary, continue to believe, continue to come to church, sit in the pews on Sunday, continue to from all outward appearance, be, be obedient, faithful. But the challenge of persevering has been too great. And I see people that simply stop running. They stop growing. They stop becoming more like Jesus day after day. Perhaps when they first came to Christ, there was an enthusiasm. There was a, an excitement of, of their faith. There was a, a joy in, in being able to read the word. It's so, so great to come to church and be together with other Christians and, and to sing these songs that were all fresh and new. But, but after a while... The temptation to grow weary and to lose heart is just to go through the motions and not to have this vibrant, growing walk, with, run with Christ. And so this chapter was addressed to, to those in the church that say, keep on going, keep on running, run by faith like you've never run before. Don't give up now. Keep on persevering. There are three things I think that, that hinder us. And the answer to each is in some form it's faith. But let me say it a little more specifically. Number one, we, we struggle with disobedience. And when we struggle with disobedience, the, the issue is do we trust God? Do we have faith in God that he knows what's best for us better than we do? We struggle with difficulties. We struggle with the trials, the hardships that come on each of our lives and we struggle, God, do you know what you're doing? Why did you let this happen? Are you even in control? And the faith and trust in that issue becomes trust in God's love and in his sovereignty. We struggle with discouragement. The race is longer than we thought it was going to be struggle with faith there becomes the intimacy with a living Jesus. Not just a religion that has doctrine, that has a, a liturgy, but with a relationship with a living Christ, with the Holy Spirit that is with us today. So let us pray for that faith. Let's look at these three. First of all, the race is run by faith of obedience. Now, the key issue for disobedience is, is trust. God tells us to do one thing and we, we think we know better and we do another. That is the essence of disobedience. We want to live the life we, we want to live. the want to live the life that just sort of comes naturally to us or that I think intuitively I ought to live. The problem is we don't see the entire course. We can only see what's come before us. We see today but none of us have any idea what's coming next except god and his instructions his his direction is based on what is coming next on what lies ahead in our future god knows and he tells us what we need to do in order to finish the race well this passage starts since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses this 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 first phrase refers to the previous chapter when, when the writer described person after person in the Old Testament that lived an incredible life of faith. People that God told to do something that made no sense at all, they believed God and they did what he asked them to do and in the end it proved to be, wow, that was just the right thing to do. That is that cloud of witnesses, that is the people that are, that are shouting to us, keep on doing what God is calling you to do. Keep on living this life that God has called you because he knows what he's doing. If you'll follow these directions, if, if you follow his Holy Spirit, it'll be worth it. We often are unwilling. So he says, throw off everything that hinders, every, literally it's every weight that hinders and throw off the sin that so easily entangles this is where we often get in trouble. There are things that we carry with us or do in our lives that that are hindering us. Now, I don't believe that these are things that are, are keeping us from being Christians, but they're dragging us on this race. And God knows what we'll need down the road, and we need to listen to God. Now, the weight that that hinders, if you're running a race, I mean, if if you were just to run one lap around a track, you can probably do that carrying a backpack, carrying suitcases, doing whatever you have to do. You know, we can run for a short distance with weights, but if you're running long distance, you see these marathon runners, they they get down to the the bare minimum. I mean, shoe companies have made millions of dollars trying to save a few ounces on the shoe. And that's the whole idea is long distance. You, you scale down. And God often is telling us there are things that you have in your life that may or may not be bad things. It's not, it's not, it's not a moral judgment on this other than the fact that it is, it is going to keep you from being able to run this race. And he says, be rid of it. And we argue with him. No, I need that. I want that. I like that. God says, put off that weight that is hindering you. Now, the second part is the sin described as vines that sort of grow around our our ankles and and entangle us. The struggle here is there are things that we think we can run in or with. We think we can live the Christian life with certain habits, addictions, sins that we carry. And you say, well, I'm not legalistic. I'm gonna, I don't, I can, I can do this. It's not a problem for me. And God is saying, cast off these things that are hindering you. The, key, the issue is not, can you run today with that? The issue is, can you run until Jesus returns? Can you run until that you take your last breath with that? And God is saying, No. There will be a day in which you get so tired of carrying that, so tired of, of struggling with that habit or with that struggle, that you're just going to put it off. And he's saying, do that now. Trust me. Trust that, I know, trust that God knows what he's doing when he tells you. Put it off. When our kids were small, Mary Beth and I would take our kids camping. Now, for us camping when they were really little, toddler age, was just throwing everything in the van and driving to a state park. And, and you know, you back up to a campsite and you have the fireplace. We set up a tent, but it was all basically thrown in our van. So we had all the groceries we needed. We, had, you know, we even carried firewood. We carried everything that we had possibly need in that van. As they got a little older, we, we decided we'd do the more advanced camping where you hike to the camping site. And so we said, we're going to have this special trip. It's going to be at, at a beach. And we, we lived in North Carolina then. So we said, we found this beach. It's supposed to be the prettiest beach in North Carolina. And we decided we're going to go camping there. So we found someone in our church that had been there. And uh, he told us, oh, it's worth it. It's, it's a beautiful beach. You'll love it. And then he said, you know, pack light. You know, because it's, it's a pretty good hike out there. And I said, oh, we've been camping. We know what camping is. And uh, I... I as we look back on it, I was extremely arrogant and sort of dismissing that, that one piece of advice. I just heard the good stuff. I, I dismissed the other. So we decided we'd pack, and we got all this stuff out that we, we normally take camping. It a Coleman stove. It was a couple of jugs of water. It was the sleeping bags. It was the, the crate for, I mean, the, the, the playpen for the kids. I mean, there's all kind of stuff that we might need, you know, we could possibly need when we're on this. And we said, how can we carry this? And I, I came up with I thought was a genius idea. I've got the, the luggage carrier that you put on top of your car, you know, those big turtle shell, like luggage carriers. So we can fit everything in there. And then I said, well, how do we carry that out? And so he said, we got a wagon, one of the kids' wagons. And we set the luggage carrier on the wagon and it worked. It was like, it worked on our driveway. So we, we were fine. We were going <laughs> to we do that. So we got there. I think we carried it on top of the van and then we, we took it off, put it on the wagon. And the first quarter mile to the campsite was, was pretty good. It was a paved trail and, and so it worked pretty good. And at the end of that, we came to a, what is a ferry. The state park actually had a ranger that would take you across a little waterway, an intercoastal waterway, to um, the island where the campsites were. And the ranger, driving the boat, saw us loading it on and just sort of laughed. And he said, what are you doing with that? I said, well, this is all our, our gear, all our stuff. He said, are you sure you want to take that? It's a pretty good hike out there. I said, yeah, we've been camping before. We know what we're doing. And I just was just this young a little cocky dad that said we can do this. So we got out. I'm sure that ranger went home and told his wife about this crazy family that took all this stuff. But we got to there. We got to, the the next little leg was a little more tough because it was hard packed sand. It was going up a hill to the crest of the ridge that we could see the the beach, and it was a half mile or so. And it, it was hot. I mean, I told the story before, and maybe I said make sure you tell them how hot it was. It was over 100 degrees, and it was it was pretty miserable. But we, we got the, the wagon up that hill. And at the top of the hill, it was beautiful. It was, it was everything we had pictured it to be. Um, but on the other side of the hill, the sand got loose. It was uh, not a hard pack sand. And that wagon didn't do very much good. It was just sort of pulling in. It was harder to pull. It was to carry some. So we, we finally made our way down to the beach. And we sort of got direction. They said, all right, your campsite's about a mile this way. I said, oh. And it, did I tell you it's hot? It was just really... And so we, we pulled it. We finally, I, I, I'm, I'm summarizing a lot. This was a miserable uh, 45 minutes from here on out. We got to the campsite. We, when we look back on that experience, I was ready to throw everything in the ocean. We didn't need it. You know, we're, we're done with camping right there. But when I look back on it, we had people telling us, pack light. Don't, don't do this. And, and I did what I think we all do at times. We say, no, I know what I'm doing. I've done this before. I, I can manage. And that, when we do it with God, is the essence of disobedience. God is saying there's, there are things in your life that are keeping you from running the race. I mean, you, you can get there. You might be able to get there. But it's gonna be harder. It's gonna be miserable. And it'd be a lot easier if you do it the way God tells you to do it. Persevere by obedience, by faith of trusting God knows what he's doing. Another thing that often trips people up in this race, the spiritual race, we're, we're, we're living our life running, trying to become more like Jesus, is when trials and difficulties come. When hardships come our way that we weren't expecting. And, and it's not that we didn't expect any difficulty, but I, maybe some people did. Maybe he thought, you know, God just loves me. He forgave me. He sent his son to die on the cross for me. And now he's my savior. I'm I'm one of his followers. Every day is just going to be perfect from there on out. Maybe he thought that. But the truth is everyone experiences pain. Everyone goes through hardships. And God, in his infinite wisdom, does not choose to protect us from that. Actually, I believe he chooses to allow us to go through it. And there are some things that God does through that pain that he is wanting us to trust him about. Now everyone goes through the pain, everyone goes through these struggles, but the agony of the trial is compounded by the thoughts that maybe God's not in control. Or maybe God doesn't love me enough to keep me from experiencing this Cancer, or my loved one that died—he could have saved him. If he loved me enough, he would have. The thoughts that God somehow was not acting out of love when He allowed us to go through struggles makes the pain unbearable. From what I hear, from what I can imagine. Childbirth is the most torturous of events. I've watched my wife go through three, and I thought that was pretty painful for me. I can't imagine what it was for her. (laughs) But even women who have gone through this do not seem to be scarred by the pain. They consider it somehow productive, in that a baby now rests in their arms. But if a fraction of that pain were caused by anger or abuse, rather than the natural process of childbirth, we can understand that that same level of pain would be devastating, would be traumatic. When God, and especially in this chapter, but throughout scripture, when he describes our pain, he doesn't say that we will be... Absent from it, but he says to trust him in it. Verse 7 says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? Later on it says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The word that God has for us in the midst of our trials, or even as we anticipate going through trials, is when you go through them, endure them as if God is loving you by allowing you to go through them. He is conditioning you for something That if he didn't do this would be even worse. Which is really what a parent does when they discipline their children. We don't try to do it just to inflict pain. But we're trying to protect them from what may be greater pain if we don't. God knows what we need. He knows what the future holds. And he enables us. He Blesses us by taking us through those trials. Verses two and three, it's still in chapter twelve, it says, "For the joy set before him, this is looking at Jesus for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. As we, the way we view pain, the way we view trials, very much determines how we'll keep running in the midst of them. Many runners who, and I'm not a long distance runner, you can probably tell that, but, but uh, people who are have talked about going to a place in their run where they hit a wall. Like they can run no more. It's just painful. It's just, it's just, I gotta stop. Or that's everything in their body is telling them to stop. But that's also where they're coached to push on. And after they go through that, they get what is called a second wind. They get that continuation where their, their body is, is re-energized, is, is stronger, It's ready to go Further. Sometimes we go through those seasons. Hopefully it's not continuous. Hopefully it's seasons. And God says, persevere. Keep trusting. Don't lose heart. For God is through this pain trying to shape us into the person he desires us to be. C.S. Lewis, who wrote, uh, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, um, describes a story the the young boy Eustace and many of the these books are Eustace is a pretty irritating young boy he's just sort of very carnal in nature self self self-centered one night he um, he, because of greed I won't go into detail because of some greed an episode of greed he he gets changed into a dragon and um, at first it seems like well I'm powerful I got all this you know people fear me now but he also realized that there was this armband that had, had on his arm that fit nicely when he was a little boy that when he was a big dragon just became a shackle to him. And he cried out just for, for help with this painful armband that would not come off. And Aslan, the, the lion who represented, represents God in these, these stories, came to him and was offering to help him. He took him out for a walk and they, were, they came to a spring, uh, spring-fed body of water and as he was going to take the dragon into the spring he said get undressed now Eustace who the dragons said dragons don't have clothes what, what does he mean what is he talking about to get undressed and he looked in his his scales on his arms and all over his body would peel off and he said maybe that's what the lion Aslan means so he started picking at the scales and realized it was like snakeskin that came off and whole, he could pick it off. And he, so he did it. And he, he put that off to the side and he started to go in the water and he looked down and there was a layer underneath that, just as ugly, just as crusty. And so he did it a second time. He got it all off and started going a third time. And he realized he couldn't do it on his own. And he cried out to Aslan. And Aslan said, you're gonna need me to do it. Listen to what C.S. Lewis writes in the voice of Eustace. I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now, so I just lay flat down and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peeled off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I had done myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on, and he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. God's discipline, God's work in our lives is often painful but it makes us become the people he created us to be one last thing and I'll I'll wrap this up is that we often stop running not because of big sins or even little sins not because of big trials but simply because of discouragement just because the race is a little longer than we thought it was gonna be and there's nothing serious that's, that's affecting us, we just are tired, we're just weary of doing good. Let me call your attention back to verse two. When we see the call here is let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer pioneer and perfecter of our faith we get discouraged i believe at least one key reason is because we take our eyes off of jesus people get discouraged because they're looking at other people because they're looking at things that god has asked them to do maybe many things that we are good at but it somehow distracts us from the reason why we're doing it at all and that is the person of jesus And so the call throughout this is to trust. In this case, it's to trust that Jesus is not only real, but he is alive, he is present, he is with you today. You're not just living this life as a religious act. You're not just coming to church on Sunday because you're supposed to come to church on Sunday. You're coming to encounter Christ, the risen Savior. When you spend time reading the Bible, it's not just because that's a duty or an obligation of a Christian. We, we read the Bible, we pray to encounter Jesus. And so just as we encounter him, fix your gaze on Christ. Another passage, Jesus says, abide in me, live in that relationship connected to me. For if you don't do that, if you just go through the motions, it becomes monotonous. It becomes religious drudgery. It was never intended to be that. It's hard to run a race when you have no idea how long you're going to run and and what the end goal is. But in verse 14 it says, without holiness no one will see the Lord. The key to this race is, is what is awaiting us at the end that relationship with Jesus, that we, we fall into the arms of Jesus. Either he's coming back to take his church to be with him in heaven, or we cease we this, this earthly body and we're present with the Lord. One way or the other, we are in Christ's presence where now we see as through a glass dimming, then Then we will see face to face what keeps us going. What enables us to persevere is the love of Jesus and fixing your gaze on him. This whole process is the, of the race is to make us ready for that encounter, for the bride of Christ to be presented flawless to the bridegroom, for, for us to be made holy, Several times when in this passage when it talks about discipline it talks about all the struggles we may go through, it's all preparing us to be in Jesus' presence. Unashamed. Holy. Made new. The Wesleyan Church has adopted that made new phrase just, just in the last year or two. It's probably been said before, but it's, it's on its logo and it's on its website and everything. And I love the phrase because it describes what god is doing in our lives with a car you you think a car is best it can be when it's when it's fresh off the lot you know you drive it off the dealership but they say its value diminishes instantly but but that's that's just the value but but then you have kids in the back seat and they spill their milkshakes and then you have the the, the rock that flies off the car in front of you and hits the fender and and starts to get dents and then you have rusts and it just cars just get older and they get less perfect. It gets struggles. Maybe that's how our, our physical body is, but that's not the way our soul is. God is using every experience you go through to restore you. I had people that, that love to restore old cars. These are the classics. And, and some of those classics I've, I've seen look better than I imagine they were when they first came off the lot. Everything was made new. That's what God's doing through this race, through the the life of a believer. He's preparing you so that he can present you at the great wedding feast to Jesus, that we can be with him forever. So whether you're discouraged and feel like giving up Whether you are struggling through trials that seem overwhelming and you wonder, is God, does he know what he's doing? Whether you're dealing with obedience issues, the call from scripture today, the call that I think the Lord has called me to give to you, do not grow weary and lose heart, but persevere. Continue running the race, being made new daily after the image of Christ. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would take this passage of scripture and the words that I have shared and may your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts what we need to hear to persevere in this race. May we have faith to obey, faith to trust in your love even when it doesn't feel like love. Faith to keep on in the midst of the dry seasons. And may we renew our joy of holiness, that joy of being made new, that we may eagerly anticipate that day when we are face to face with Jesus.
1: receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.